0: Wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. That is what I first thought of when I saw a picture of the loggerhead Shrike. But it's actually a lot bigger than than this little New Zealand fantail. What can they teach us?
1: And then they will carry the prey up, up, and away to skewer them on thorns of trees or bushes or often bob.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This
1: is Chris. And I'm Angie. Yes, you are, Angie. Happy October again. I know. October is such a great month here at All Creatures Podcast. So much fun. Prepping for the loggerhead Shrike has been a good time. Uh, it's just this pretty little songbird. With raptor behavior, <laughs> aka a dark side like none the other, it's,
0: it's it's the cutest thing on earth, and then it's it's like a terror bird. It's just yeah, it's like, nicknamed ah.
1: it's nicknamed the butcher bird, it is. rightfully so. And well, Chris, this loggerhead shrike is the only known predator songbird. So yeah. not necessarily carnivorous, right? Because a lot of mm-hmm. songbirds will eat mm-hmm. insects, mm-hmm. but. A predator, like I mean, like hunting. Wait till we get to some of the hunting behaviors, and then of course the um, very, very well known. And I had so much fun watching many, many YouTube videos of their behavior of impaling (laughs) their prey on thorns and barbed wire, and it's just perfect for October.
0: (laughs) Oh, when you mentioned them, because you know we we sit there and we brainstorm. Okay, what, what are some spooky creatures we haven't covered yet? And you said the Shrike and, and, and the one that impales. And so I went and looked and I was like, the first image that came up, I remember these things. And I was like, oh God, yeah, we got to do them. We have I to do know.
1: them. Well, and I have to give a huge shout out to Laura, who's a volunteer from one of Canada's top zoos, which is mm-hmm. the Toronto Zoo. Mm-hmm. She reached out to us um a few weeks ago and uh, suggested Loggerhead Shrike. And so thank you, Laura, for that, because it's just been fun. And I can't wait to share this podcast with our audience because this bird has it all. It's a beautiful songbird. It has some fun behavior. Oh, my goodness. And the courtship behavior, I'll have you cracking up when I talk about some of that. Uh, So we just love birds here at All Creatures Podcast. We don't get a chance to cover enough of them. But this loggerhead shrike is gonna is gonna give you something to talk about at your Halloween parties this year.
0: I know it, it is it is and and shout out to the Toronto Zoo because when we get to conservation, they have an amazing conservation program trying to save a subspecies of loggerhead shrike.
1: Well, that's what else I realized, Chris, this week is a couple of the subspecies are endangered, critically endangered. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a few handful left. And, you know, they, they, they are near threatened total as a species, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk a little bit about this massive decline in North America in birds.
1: Well, yeah, Chris, in general, for the loggerhead shrikes, their numbers between 1966 and 2015 have declined about 3% a year, which is a total of seventy-six percent decline. Researchers think it's massive. Yeah, seventy-six percent. Yeah, these
0: birds are, are are on a downward trajectory to extinction. So I, I hope it's a big wake-up call to the United States, to Canada, to Mexico that we need to support our birds because we're, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to talk about why they're they are just so critical for our food webs. First, real quick shout out to Jill who joined us this week on Patreon. Thank you so much. We have our poll up on the final species we'll cover this month. So we'll let that run for another week and then see what our, our Patreon supporters want us to cover. So we have, we have some good choices there, but again, you know, it's a cup of coffee a month. We appreciate the support you're giving back to conservation and Angie and I are, are, trying to educate as many people as we can about the plight of these species and then bringing interviews from a lot of these conservation experts. So thank you so much.
1: And I'd like to just give a quick shout out to Josh, who I mentioned last week. Um, he is a friend of ours here at All Creatures Podcast. And Josh has a passion project of making endangered species card decks that he will be selling. And you can reach him on Instagram at at Josh c. C-A-R-T-E-R. And you can find this information on our show notes. Uh, You can direct message him on Instagram. And I know he's definitely had people reach out to him since last week. I definitely reached out to him because it's a great stocking stuffer for my family. And if you enjoy playing cards and card games, why wouldn't you want a beautiful um, endangered species deck with facts about the endangered species on there so you also have a conversation piece at the same time? And... Josh will be donating all, yes, you heard me straight, all of his proceeds to his two favorite, um, charities, which are born free, which we just recently talked to here on the podcast and then Sea legacy. So please reach out to him and, uh, you'll be helping support some great causes and getting a nice little, uh, a nice little gift out of donating your money.
0: No, thanks, Josh. That's, that's amazing work, what you're doing. And, Angie, when I first saw this bird, it, one of the things I give, I always give a shout out to Jesse whenever we do birds, and and he's really got me hooked now on bird watching, is the New Zealand fantail, cute little little thing, and it's always dancing around, and I play the calls, and they jump down the trees, and they dance above your head, and then you know display their fans, you know like hey, they're 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 great. That is what I first saw, thought of when I saw a picture of the loggerhead shrike. But it's actually a lot bigger than, than this little New Zealand fantail. And again, it's dubious. I don't know how we want to say this. It, it, it's, it's reputation as a butcher bird. You just see this thing. I, I think of like Snow White with, you know, the little bluebird. But then the thing just would dive down and start killing all the mice on the crowd at Snow White's feet. Like it's just.
1: It is. It's definitely uh, has a dark side. But when you do look at it, I mean, I just see a really good-looking songbird. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but when you really start to like look at the anatomy, and then, of course, we'll talk a lot about the physiology and the behavior, we're going to learn that this little songbird, the loggerhead shark, was uh, made to kill and made to be a predator. Now, it's not a true bird of prey, but it has these predator behaviors. But from the outside, when you look at the loggerhead shrike, it's a beautiful bird, grays, black, white, its head color is gray, and then the gray runs down its nape, neck, and shoulders, and then its wings are mostly black uh, or dark brown, depending on the subspecies, and there's a white, uh, like a white band on the wings, and so it's really pretty when it opens its wings up, you can see this like white band against the dark, brown or dark black slash gray and the underbelly is all white. So from like basically the chin, all the, and all the undercarriage is white with a black tail or black or brown tail feathers. But with this gray cap that it has on its head, starting back behind their ear holes is a black, a very thick prominent black band or mask that runs from behind the eye all the way around the eye to the bill. On both sides, and so it really looks almost like like a bandit, or um, it's it's like a little hint of some of this dubious behavior. That I know,
0: I know, I know.
1: But what's also really interesting when you look closely at the loggerhead strike, it does have a very big head for its body size, and because of this large shaped head, that's kind of where the loggerhead came part of the name came from. Because I guess loggerhead also meant like blockhead which also means big head and researchers speculate that the loggerhead shark has kind of this bigger head because of its hunting behaviors and how it carries really, uh, or has the ability to carry very massive sized prey um, to its perch. In (laughs) fact, sometimes, um, it can like almost carry itself in size. And so it needs a strong head to be able to attack prey, Potentially snap their neck and then carry them up to impale them. <laughs>
0: Wait to get to the baby. like it's a little songbird. It's oh, this cute, cute, adorable, it's so cute mammal murderer. You know, it, it like, is. It eats is mice and moles uh, and
1: all sorts of little animals. Right, and but see, it's not a true bird of prey because it lacks the talons mm-hmm. and the the, the the that that type of foot to pick up prey by the feet, right? Right. Uh, But it does have a thicker bill than a lot of the other songbirds, and there's a small hook at the end, Mm -hmm. like if you think of like a hawk or other birds of prey. Mm -hmm. And then it's really cool too, around the uh, edges, on on each side of the upper bill, there are uh, these little protrusions that I'll talk a little bit more about too, uh, that act like hooks to help latch onto the prey and Mm -hmm. do its thing. So it's just it's just really uh it's a really a fascinating bird, bird but it's it but beautiful in the air mm-hmm. and beautiful when it's on its uh, perch hunting uh because of the colors I just really like that gray white and black pattern color pattern mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me it's just very uh very striking and a good looking songbird.
0: Yeah. Yeah and and like I said they're there when I think of a lot of songbirds like a little sparrow you know that you can hold in your hand this is you know probably three times the size of that lengths up to nine inches or 23 centimeters. The weight is about 50 grams, but like all birds, birds don't weigh very heavy, obviously. So they could fly wingspan just over 12 inches, you know, or 32 centimeters. So, you know, they, they say American Robin size, you know, and I think a pip in Britain, the uh, European Robins are very tiny songbirds, but the American robins, I mean, those are, those are a little bit bigger. Or a cardinal, eh, it's probably bigger than a cardinal. But about that size, you know, it, it, it's not a tiny little songbird. It, 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 it has some mass to it. Now, this is a North American bird like we've opened up with. They, they stretch from Canada down into Mexico, you know, very southern parts of Canada, pretty much most of the United States. You know, there's some spots, especially New England area with, where they're not really found. But most of the contin- continental U- United States, and then most of Mexico until you get down into the Yucatan Peninsula, you know, so Baja California, and then down into Mexico, and then you're going to find these in, in in open country, low
1: trees, shrubs, you know, scrub yeah, they'd like the, yeah. They like to be in the they like to be in the woods because that's where they need the yeah. trees to do their um, uh, impaling Spiking. behavior. Yeah, <laughs> but they like to hunt more in plains. So A lot of times they said it'll be a field, woods that are like next to a field, ideally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where you'll they, find them. They
1: can be pretty adaptable though and they can even be found in urban areas as well. Um, but yes, they they like those fields and the woods, so they need a little bit of both. And I'm lucky enough to have the loggerhead Shrike here in Florida. Now I have not seen one, uh, but I'm going to have to get some of my birding friends out and ask them if they have, if they, I know they're in Gainesville, but how present they are, that I'm not, that I'm not really sure of. And also, my my old stomping grounds, my my home, Michigan, they're considered endangered there, uh, and very very few sightings in the past. Twenty or thirty years in Michigan, uh, however, there's been a couple sightings in the county where I'm from in Michigan, and so I've had like two chances to see this bird, and I just I just really need to get on it, and I would love love to see the loggerhead strike in the wild, let alone maybe catch some of these amazing behaviors.
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll <laughs> it's, I always I always kind of wait to the end, but I have to talk about eBird and the Merlin Bird ID app. Angie, I would be out after this podcast, and I would be going down to Payne's Prairie, mm-hmm. and I would be with binos looking for these birds. I just know what a dork I would be, and being like, I need to see this bird in the wild. Um, I, you know, Jesse's got me now every weekend, and and you know during the week, even on my walks, I just open it up and I just start counting birds. It's fun. I'm learning all the species here. I'm actually learning their calls. So like the New Zealand fantail, I know immediately. Uh, the tui, you can't miss that one here. It's kind of like a, it's almost like an owl hoo, hoo, hooting. Just very unique uh, bird here in New Zealand. Uh, you know, we got the house sparrows like crazy here. You know, we've got a lot of invasive species, but then the native species, it, it's it's just fun with the kids. And, you know, I'll talk more about it at the end of the podcast, but. Yeah, you need to get out there and find them in Florida. You have to. You have to see a shrimp.
1: I know. Well, and they're year-round residents here too. So we're, and uh, the ones in Michigan are only there during breeding season. So yeah, I, I mean, I have a great chance to theoretically see one. So fingers yeah, crossed. They, Stay tuned.
0: I know, I know. I can't wait to send me a picture. I found one. I'm going to be like so excited for you. So these do migrate a little bit. They. You know, like in, in Angie's neck of the woods, there in Florida, those those are non migratory, right? But other ones do migrate north in the spring to the breeding grounds to like southern parts of Canada, the central plains of the United States, and then you do see some non breeding resident birds on the east coast of Mexico. Um, that you know, once they get a breeding age, they'll probably migrate a little bit to to breed. But very large range, you know, very large range. So, when talking about why care about these songbirds or birds in general, I I really dove deeper into these latest reports about the massive loss of birds that we have seen in North America, right? So, like the just the shrike, for example. What Angie, you you mentioned before we started recording that they eat some poisonous insects.
1: They do. I can't wait to talk about it when we get to nutrition. Yes, yes. Yeah. Toxic ones. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So they, you know, each of these birds are are critical to our food web, and this report that we've lost three billion birds in fifty years has scientists alarmed. You know, and rightfully so. And they're they're really saying. Birds are so important. They are an indicator species of the health of our ecosystems. And, you know, they even, it's not even tongue in cheek. They they call them the canaries in the coal mine, which, you know, miners used to always carry canaries with them down in little cages. And if the canary dropped dead, then you knew there was toxic fumes or gases in the mine and they would get out. And that's where that, that saying canaries in the coal mine always came from. So seeing such massive loss of biomass again that's like the n- total number of animals per species when we talk about this this loss we didn't lose that many species it's just like using the loggerhead shrike as an example we have lost 70 per- 76% of their population in the last 50 years which is alarming alarming so we're seeing a, a massive change in the environment in Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And I will say you can you can for all of our international listeners, international listeners, you obviously seen very similar trends. We're seeing this in Asia, we're seeing this in Europe for sure, probably parts of Africa. I, I don't you know maybe not as much there. I don't know yet, but Australia. Here in New Zealand, undoubtedly, absolutely, you know, so many species have gone extinct or on the verge of extinction because of human impact. So we're seeing this trend, but this this is a first study to come out and say, wow, this is having such a a major impact. So, you know, the, the scientists talking about this on why birds are so important is, you know, we know a lot about them we know about their life histories. They're easier to study than, than some animals and and some species. You find birds pretty much everywhere. They're on every continent. You've got penguins down in Antarctica. You've got them almost, you have desert living birds. You have obviously the deep rainforest, tons of birds, all on island nations. You know, the birds are pretty much found everywhere on earth and they all fill different niches, you know, like, we're talking about this butcher bird, this loggerhead shrike. It has a particular niche that it fits and it helps. An important it one. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So each of these birds play a critical role. And it's not just what the birds eat. You know, insects, uh, they're pollinators, uh, mammals, you know, it's we're going to talk about today. But the other raptors, uh, they. Th- it's not just what they eat, but they are also food for other animals. And their eggs are food for other animals, so there's a very, I just, it's a complex relationship, you know, across multiple ecosystems with these birds. But just some of the other things, like I said, you know, we we covered hummingbirds, orioles, honeycreepers—they all pollinate. You hear Angie and I always talking about seed dispersal, how critical that is you know for for certain birds they'll eat certain seeds where the seed needs to go through the digestive tract to be able to germinate and when you take the bird out those seeds cannot germinate that plant starts to become extinct or
1: or several that, plant species yeah yeah
0: they either they head towards extinction right so you know you got tons of birds that fill that role when you talk about invertebrates you know biological control you have you know woodpeckers and bluebirds and 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 flycatchers and the shrikes they all go out and, and help keep those populations down so uh, birds play such a complex role in the ecosystem and and so this this drastic reduction obviously is going to, is impacting our environment. And this is where we start to see some, where some of these ecosystems start to break down and you start to see other species either proliferate like crazy, like ticks and
1: right. Unwanted ones. Often. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then others fall away and, and like certain plants and flowers and other things uh, go extinct. So, you know, it, it's just a massive loss. Where we're losing these birds, this study went and looked at all the different biomes and highlighted why and where. So, the biggest place where we've lost nearly 720 million birds, okay, so this is where the majority of birds were lost, were in our grasslands. And a lot of you know, agriculture development in, you know, the plains of the United States, the plains of Canada. Then you talk about a lot of pesticide use. It has devastated their habitats, has devastated their, their prey things they eat. And it has devastated birds that depend on grasslands. You know, you fly over the United States it's a crisscross of farms. You know, it's the breadbasket of the world. The United States is a major, major agriculture producer. But when you fly from the East coast to the West coast, you look out the plane window and you just see, it's just farms everywhere where it used to be grasslands and Buffalo and pronghorn and, you know, uh, ferrets and all of those things. It was a very vibrant, vibrant ecosystem that has been just, plowed away so you know looking at what's left of those grasslands we should look to protect you know in in south dakota and wyoming and some of these other states where they're still there just quickly to get through this list you know uh, the boreal forest was next we lost nearly 500 million birds there which is interesting because that's more but north right canada boreal Mm -hmm. but Oil and gas development, logging, fires, climate change is a big driver, you know, losing 500 million birds in population has had a big, big impact. Then your general forests, again, very similar logging, wildfires, things like that. We've lost 482 million birds in in population. Then you're just generalist habitat, 400 million birds. So you know and then uh, they did talk about the arctic tundra kind of going through some more of these climate change a big one we've lost 80 million birds there our deserts our arid lands you know just urban sprawl like phoenix in arizona you've seen major development there that that have taken out tons of habitat for birds so about 35 million birds there and the only area that they didn't have a good handle on in the study when you read it are our coasts because they just admit it's kind of data deficient especially with a lot of seabirds because those are harder to, to track because they do go off uh, the coast. They, we, oh gosh, I can't even remember the bird it was, but Jesse and I a couple weeks ago went and we just had birds arrive from Alaska here in New Zealand. They flew across the Pacific ocean. I remember it was the red knot. I think it was Jesse will correct me if I was wrong, but if it, it, it migrated from Alaska and it just got into New Zealand, like within the week.
1: It's
0: crazy! Oh, the, how these birds migrate across oceans and just do it straight without stopping. Cause they have a couple of them tagged. So they, they track them and all their movements. Mm-hmm. So they, but all of these uh, birds that, that live on the coast, they they estimate about 6 million birds have been lost, but they don't know. They admit it's it's deficient. Here's the good news. Ooh, in the we study. love good news. I know, okay. we lose 3.2 billion, but the the good news is our wetlands in North America have gained population. About 20 million birds since 1970. Now, they, okay. they admit not all of them have thrived. Some marshlands are still in trouble because of development blah blah blah, but that is because you and I have mentioned it, it was a political action Land restoration. It was the 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 hunters, you know, where they have gone course, in and said yes. we need to protect these waterfowl, and they've gone in and and pushed a lot of political action to protect these areas, and the wetlands have thrived. I see it in Calif- I saw it in California when I was there, and parts of Florida. So that's I, I think maybe that's something not you know just for hunting, but we can take what they did. And apply that to some of these really critical areas where these birds are. But again, these trends are are not good. It, it's it's yeah, scary 70, data. 76% yeah.
1: in the past 50 years for the loggerhead shrike alone. But with that being said, as you mentioned, the good news is when we get to reproduction, we'll talk about the, the loggerhead shrikes and several other um, songbirds. They lay multiple eggs uh, during breeding season. And some have... Uh, two clutches. And so theoretically, if we put a lot of these uh, conservation mechanisms in place to help keep them safe and to help keep their habitat and to to make sure the populations are healthy and not exposed to toxic chemicals, man-made chemicals and things like that, then their numbers should bounce back pretty readily, right? They don't have, Mm -hmm. that we know of, they don't really have reproduction problems. And uh, there's definitely not too many bottlenecks, except for maybe a little bit with a couple of the endangered subspecies of the loggerhead shrike. But I think, as you mentioned, that model for several different songbirds, Mm -hmm. uh, that it it can be good news. We just have to get to get to the other side.
0: Yeah. And I just, I brushed over the study. I mean, obviously it's a very, very in-depth dense data-driven study but you know you see that biomass reduction and then you see where and it just makes sense you know it just it, it just makes sense But it's
1: also good, too, that there's brilliant people that are studying these things. And when we talk towards the end of the the podcast about fighting for songbirds or for mm -hmm. even the loggerhead shrike, as we'll talk about later on. So there is some good news. And I mean, whatever it is, we need to save these birds because Chris and I, no matter how long we do this podcast, we probably will not be able to cover all these songbirds. (laughs) No. (laughs) no. But we should because their behavior, their vocalizations, their uh, their core. Courtship rituals, their hunting—I
0: know, I know—are
1: just so incredible.
0: I know there's so many. Well, jumping into that, I mean, you know, when you look at birds as a whole, there's over ten thousand eight hundred species across the planet, and there's probably many more to be discovered. You know uh, that we we have yet to discover. So there's probably more than that. Now, the loggerhead shrike is of the order Passiformes. And this is your songbirds or your perching birds, and so that's over five thousand species. So Angie's right; we can't cover five thousand species. We cover like two songbirds a year. I
1: mean, if somebody actually made it my official job, and I could record multiple <laughs> times per week, and I yes. had like a studio and an assistant and a microphone yep. that didn't flop down and was duct taped, <laughs> then maybe we could.
0: No, and then looking at the the, the family of shrikes is lanidae And the carnivorous passeriforms in 34 species. Then, when you get into Lanius, which is the genus, the typical shrikes, and there's 30 species. So these are distributed across, you know, Europe, Asia, Africa, and then just two species in North America. So you have the loggerhead and the northern shrike. You do not have shrikes in South America or Australia even though one from Asia does migrate down to New Guinea. Now the loggerhead shrike itself its species name is Lanius ludovicianus. Hey, I did that right. And there's seven you got right. Seven subspecies. So you have one in central Canada, the western part of the US, central US, Eastern North America, the coastal Southeast U.S. So that's probably yours. Yes. So that's the mm-hmm. Lanius ludovicanus ludovicanus. A plus, Ludo- Chris. Vicanus. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Down really there good. by you. Yeah, that's your yours. Uh, the Channel Islands one, which we're going to highlight here in a second. Uh, there's one there. In, or The one in San Clemente Island is its own subspecies. That's the one where there is... Only about ten individuals left. And I think that's the one critically
1: the one endangered. Thing? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, critically endangered. Uh, then you have the ones that go down into Mexico and then southern Mexico. So, so seven sp- s- seven subspecies of shrikes.
1: Ooh, say that seven times. Fast. I know. <laughs> I was like, that's a lot. That's <laughs> no, don't, <a> lot. don't. <laughs> but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Now, birds, again, go way back. We've covered bird evolution many times. Jurassic period, 160 million years ago.
1: They're flying dinosaurs. That's really yeah. all we need to say.
0: I know. That's why That's why Xander needs to be just a bird scientist, an ornithologist. Totally. Yeah, because he loves dino so much.
1: And the Zachary first- now. He wants to be a paleontologist, too. So oh, we could he? have one like be a brother. paleontologist and one be an ornithologist. Yeah, that'd be I'd awesome. Be, I'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm.
0: I know. I know. The Mio brothers. And then the third one's going to be the angel. Just just, just watch.
1: <laughs> third baby's a charm. Yeah. So they say. Yeah.
0: Now, these songbirds didn't start evolving until about 50 million years ago. So you go through the whole bird tree. In the southern hemisphere is where they they started to emerge. Our earliest fossils are from Australia and New Zealand. So down in my neck of the woods of songbirds. Now the shrikes themselves, there's not a lot of data. Again, a hard animal with these hollow bones to fossilize, and they think they emerged in Africa, but but again, they they don't know yet. There's just there just seems like to be a big hole there. Whenever I kept digging, there was not a lot on evolution for on shrikes per se. So, you know, that's what we think they evolved. But you can imagine these birds are, are very old, you know, hundreds of thousands of years they've been around, uh, the the modern shrikes that we see today. Looking at facts about these birds, Angie, you know, average about seven, eight years in the wild. There there, there was one male that they were tracking, lived to be almost 12, but mm-hmm. they thought that was was pretty rare. Not a lot of specific data. Uh, on different physiology a little bit besides their, their behavior. That's really where people study them.
1: Well, yeah, Chris, really the only thing I found that was very new to me was uh, with the loggerhead strike, the hooked bill. Yeah. As I mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier in the podcast, when I was describing them on the upper bill, there is this like edge or ridge projection on each side of the upper bill. And it's called a tomium, which act like tomium teeth to help, grab the prey by the back of their necks and then carry them and do everything else that they're going to do to these poor little prey items. <laughs> so it's definitely doesn't look like your traditional songbird bill uh, or beak. And yeah, this tomium teeth was a new term for me. So I found that very interesting.
0: Yeah, that was what was really unique is, is that bill. And, and you kind of just, you did a very good job describing that uh, in the beginning, you know, just talking about how, hunting and, and, and leading you into behavior, I couldn't really find on, on flight speed. I saw one estimate of 30 miles per hour, or 50 kilometers per hour. But what we do know from the behavior studies is, you know, they're up about 10 to 13 feet. So what is that? Mm-hmm. Like three to four meters off the ground. And then they swoop down on their prey and then use that bill to, you know, snap their necks, like you said, behind the necks uh, to kill them.
1: Yeah. Researchers speculate that the hook bill and then that tomium tooth or teeth on the upper bill basically serve to sever the necks of their victims. And although they, like you mentioned, they definitely hunt a lot from their perch and just, just wait for the prey to be vulnerable and swoop down on it. Their hunting techniques are actually really flexible because they've also been reported to hunt from the ground and then also hunting from the air while doing this hovering, kind of slow flying, kind of gliding motion, like you might see in a kestrel. And then if they see prey, they can swoop down and uh, grab them from there. So pretty, pretty flexible, just like their diet, too, right? The loggerhead strikes are the only known pred- predatory songbird, um, but they'll eat invertebrates vertebrates uh and they anything from like grasshoppers to beetles to mice frogs lizards snakes i saw some snakes being impaled on some of these Mm -hmm, videos i was mm -hmm. watching baby birds so uh, other other (laughs) birds (laughs) there was report reports of them grabbing um Prey as large as a cardinal, which you mentioned in the opening of the podcast, it's about mm-hmm. how big they are. Mm-hmm. So they can basically carry an animal that's as massive as itself with with their you know with their beak uh, because they don't use their talons or their mm-hmm. feet like a, a real a true bird of prey would. Yeah. Uh, and so, but what's fascinating is they they do all this and then they will carry the prey up up and away to skewer them on thorns of trees or bushes, or often barbed wire, depending on where they live. (laughs) And yeah, it's pretty, it's just, it's just crazy. And then when you're watching these videos and you're seeing like, (laughs) you're seeing how they, how they skewer them and then eat them from there, which is, it's kind of like a utensil, right? Um, Tool use, yeah. A shish kebab, right? We've all had (laughs) shish kebabs before. Uh, So in, and what's really fascinating too is these loggerhead shrikes are smart birds. So they evolve this really cool behavior that works for them, uh, that helps them basically eat the food and keep it there for a while. Um, and they actually will cache their food depending on the time of year or if it's breeding season. And by cache, I mean like store some of it, so they don't always necessarily eat it right away when it's uh, when the when the uh, meat is fresh, and when I say they're smart, they have learned that butterflies such as the monarch butterfly, grasshoppers, or the lubber the lubber grasshopper, and the eastern narrow mouthed toads are toxic creatures or poisonous. Like uh, with the toad, it's the outside of their skin, and they taste really, really yucky. So they'll impale the these creatures and let them sit for about I don't know three days or so tell the toxins, you know, the animal's dead. So the toxins mm-hmm. start to break down in their body. And then the loggerhead strike will gobble them up because they're no longer tasting icky or and or poisonous. A little aged meat. Yeah. <laughs> they're basically like, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll wait for the poison to get out of you or the you know for you to stop tasting so yucky and uh-huh. or noxious is the scientific term. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then we'll gobble you up. So just really just so fascinating and then and the videos i was watching you see these like perfect for spooky october these almost like cemetery of like acacia like trees with thorns on them and just like skeletons of lizards and snakes and uh other birds that are basically like a shrine to meals past had just crazy And, and then once again, too, that they, they'll actually store some of these food. Uh, They call it their larders or their pantries Mm -hmm. that will help them get through winters if it's cold out or when food is really, really scarce. So just, just fascinating.
0: Oh, but talk about the behavior, just studying that behavior. It just, how exciting would be to like to watch some of that. Like it's, it's, that's why you got to go find this bird. It,
1: it. I know. And then researchers too have reported that um, in the the winter months when it's colder, like even here in Florida, we don't get that cold. But in north central Florida, we'll get a little bit colder. But these birds are smart, man. They will basically Mm -hmm. hunt when the weather is cold, like in early mornings and things like that. Because... The insects that are still around, especially like in Florida, oh my gosh, we have like mosquitoes year round, but the insects that they are hunting, whether uh, it's a beetle or a butterfly, they'll hunt them when it's cold out because because of the cold weather, the insects are slower moving and not as able to get away as fast. And so mm-hmm. they use they use that to their advantage. I mean, they're just really, really smart birds. Chris, I found this article that will help a lot of people relate to loggerhead strikes and maybe even fall more in love with them because these researchers reported um, in May 2018 that a loggerhead shrike in Port Allen, Louisiana was observed scavenging a fully cooked piece of bacon from a hotel parking lot in which it proceeded to cash or store In a crepe myrtle tree near the hotel. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, this loggerhead shrike could sniff out some bacon and decided that that was a food to put in its pantry. And I'm sure there's several people listening to this podcast that can agree that that is a staple that you want uh, to have, maybe not in your pantry, maybe. In your fridge so it doesn't go rotten. But I was just, I was cracking up and uh, I told my husband, John, earlier about this and we we were getting a good giggle out of A, the song, collecting bacon and storing it. But then also that like this, some people get to study this stuff. I mean, I wasn't laughing at it. I was like laughing. Like that's amazing. Like I want to be studying that. I want to be publishing these articles and these findings because I don't know how I got tricked, doing, tricked into doing my PhD on like chemistry and mass spec. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm realizing that I might have been missing out on watching really cool loggerhead shrike behavior.
0: Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a great bird.
1: So funny, right? So fun. They're they're a cool cool bird. And then, so briefly, just to mention some of their other behaviors. Loggerhead strikes are pretty territorial, and they'll maintain their territory through songs and displays, which I'll touch on here shortly. and if there is an intruder that comes into a male's territory, the male will definitely challenge the other male with fluttering bows and a prey stalking display behavior uh, and the two males might face each other and whirl at each other and stomp the ground. so just just really really unique, fun behaviors to tell the other male, like, hey, this is my territory. Now, during breeding and nesting season, the loggerhead strike doesn't become social necessarily, but it does become more tolerant of overlapping territories. uh, And researchers think that's probably to help either promote pair bonding or basically help to help new arrivals learn what areas Already been established, which one and which ones haven't. So they're a little bit more tolerant during the breeding season. And as far as a songbird goes, the loggerhead shrike, they sing pretty softly and quietly. Uh, and when they are singing, they're going to have a series of short trills that'll follow a nice rhythmic pattern. And that'll include some buzzes and rasps and then some descending notes. And both males and females will uh, will sing to each other uh, and also perform territory songs. But besides singing their songs, uh, Loggerhead Strikes will also do many vocalizations. There's trills, stutters, scolds. Um, and then they also will clap their bill to produce this like staccato sound uh, if they are defending a nest, or if fledglings get too close to a predator, so several several ways that they communicate with each other that have been pretty uh, that have been pretty well studied and recorded by uh, researchers and naturalists.
0: All right, Angie, I'm going to jump in because this is what I love about uh, the Merlin Bird app or using eBird. You use them; there, there are two apps, and the Merlin Bird app. It helps you identify birds. You go in, you put in the size, the colors, what they were doing, obviously where you're at, and it gives you a list of birds that you can pick from. And you say, oh, that's the bird I saw. You click on it, and then it asks you, do you want to go to eBird, which is another app that will pop up, and you can report the number of birds that you see. So like yesterday, because we're in lockdown here in New Zealand, I take my boys for a walk once a day around the gardens, and we do bird counts. And I've said that before in another podcast. And we use the app to identify certain species. So in that app, they do have the songs and calls. And that's what I play to get like fantails. So one that that's here, it's beautiful. It's a parrot. It's the Eastern Rosella and I'll play that. And they're very shy birds, but they'll come around. Uh, so I, I do have the app open. So I'm going to play some of the songs of, of the loggerhead shrike and then a couple of their calls. So here we go. Yeah, not what you would think with the songbird, but here we go. so that's kind of the songs. But you get to the calls that really is is distinctive, and 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 I think is it fits the behavior of this bird. So here we go. Shh. <laughs> Makes me birds make me laugh so much. Uh, I love it. I mean, yeah, it's just some of it. So yeah.
1: cool and so fun to hear and explore them. And I mean, I must say, it's nothing compared to the Kookaburra song. No, last no, week, or, a few weeks sorry, ago, a couple, yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago, that was just incredible. But I think for what they maybe lack in our ears for song, because that's the other thing, is the their um, mates really hear that song is a you know beautiful and there's Mm -hmm. there's it's it's called a song because there's definitely different Mm -hmm. notes ascending descending and different subtle sounds that probably my ear's not even that great at picking up on. But for whatever they may lack in a very like floral or amazing just in a very expressive and vivid song, they make up for in their courtship behavior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And so Depending on which subspecies of the loggerhead shrike you're looking at, in general, their breeding season is going to be uh, in April through July. Uh, And one of the things the male loggerhead shrike will do is it will often kill and impale extra prey that it doesn't really need. And researchers think that it, it does this to basically display it's machismo or it's power or it's sexual progress or genetics, right. Uh, to attract a female and she, the female will hopefully want this male who is basically strong and able to provide, uh, this food source for her. And of course their offspring. And it's also thought that when a male has a very well stocked up larder or pantry, right. Uh, of all of these prey items impaled on the thorns or barbed wire or uh, parts of trees, that it will help attract a female loggerhead shrike. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I think when John and I first started dating, I definitely like did a little snooping into his pantry <laughs> before he before he, you know, committed. Uh, and I will say, if a man keeps a good snacks in his pantry, <laughs> well
0: me,
1: <laughs> the rest is history. And he did not disappoint me. John had some good Cape Cod potato chips, little Debbie Roll zebra cakes, uh, right? You know me and yeah. zebras. And lots of ice cream, which to this day I did not eat ice cream until we started dating, and now, like, every night I'm like, no, I can't keep eating the ice cream. <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not yes. good for me. So, yeah, he has snacks were – they definitely – you know, I, I was impressed by his snacks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But male loggerhead strikes will also court females by feeding them and singing to them. And I just have to say, like, if anybody's been serenaded uh, by a guitar – Male or female, like that is mm-hmm, fun. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And John is still working on that skill set. You're me, but the I get guitar to, I player to, and the singer. I going <laughs> to say, I get to serenade him. He'll sing along. We'll do some harmonizing. Yeah, we'll do a little yeah. dorky and sing along to some '80s and '90s songs. But, but yes, feed yes, feed me. Sing to me. That is, you know, all the things. Yes, please. But uh, in the male he'll do some ritual dances and also perform some flight displays. So, yeah, these these. Male loggerhead strikes. They know how to know how to treat a lady, uh, and the female, when she is liking all the things that he's doing, the female loggerhead strike will often do this begging behavior, which we talked about, I think, a little bit with kookaburros, where she'll act like she's begging him for food, and he'll make sounds um, such as like a woot or shack sounds, and then offer her the food. So it's just this very ritualized courtship display that is just. Uh, so cool. I just love birds. And for the most part, all of this display and drama uh is important because loggerhead strikes are monogamous. Well, dot dot dot, mostly monogamous. Once in a while, a female might raise one brood early in the season with one male and then take up with another male for the second brood of the season. So maybe like if the males if the first male of his pantry wasn't that well stocked, mm-hmm. if you know okay. what I mean. <laughs> she's she's like, okay, let me try number two. So yeah, just so much fun. And I mean, by pantry too, I know I probably put the visual in your head of a pantry of like cookies and chips and stuff, but a loggerhead strike pantry consists of impaled. <laughs> Poisonous uh, uh, grasshoppers and butterflies and rodents Mm. and lizards and snakes and other birds. Bacon. You name it, right? (laughs) Bacon. (laughs) Good one, Chris. Exactly. (laughs) He's a winner. Totally. Uh, But I'll tell you, too, why Mr. Uh, Loggerhead Shrike uh, is also a winner. Because once they do pair up, um, they will work together. To find the nest site. And they're very picky. They will inspect many locations. And I don't really know bird language. We'd have to get an ornithologist on here, like how they communicate with each other. Like, okay, I want this location or not that location. I want this location or not that location. Because goodness knows I've done enough shopping with my husband for rental units and houses and things like that. And I mean, our communication probably could use a little bit of improvement when we're trying mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. a site mm-hmm. to build our nest. Uh, but yeah, so they they find the nest site together and then they work together to gather the nesting material, which can be anything from bark strips, flowers, lichen, grass, feathers, moss, fur, string, cloth, twigs, rootlets, forbs, all sorts of things. And they collect it all together. However... The female loggerhead shrike is the one who usually constructs the nest on her own, and it takes her up anywhere from one to two weeks to do this. So I, I thought that was kind of appropriate. Of like they work together, and then finally the female's like, okay, just 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 let me do it, <laughs> let me let me yeah, finish yeah, from yeah. here. Um, so, but their their nest is cute. It's kind of like a bowl uh, or a cup shape. Some describe it as, and it uh, it's typically up in the trees, um, uh, you know, 10, 15 feet. Now, if they're in an area, a scrub land area or grassland area where there's not many trees, then they will sometimes build their nest in like brush piles or tumbleweeds. Uh, so, uh, pretty cool stuff. And the female will then lay about five to six eggs, uh, that are like grayish in color, yellow, brownish, so not white. And she will incubate them for about three weeks, 15 to 17 days or so. And, of course, the hatchling loggerhead shrikes are very helpless. Their eyes are closed. They're naked. And they grow up pretty fast. And there's reports of juvenile loggerhead shrikes performing basically like practice, adult hunting behavior, but like in an exaggerated, almost charade-like way, where they'll pretend to impale things on thorns, or briars to basically help train themselves for real life. So they might, they'll they'll peck at a lot of objects and then they'll maybe like take a stick or something or a leaf and practice impaling it onto the thorns. And some other behaviors that they, juveniles will exhibit to help prepare them for these really incredible adult hunting behaviors is they'll fly with sticks in the air And they'll also uh, chase their parents and yeah, they'll, they'll they'll take an object and basically knock it on a tree. Like I guess practice either impaling and or um, severing the neck of, of whatever prey item that they're, they're going to be hunting. So really, really cool uh, practice behaviors that help Help them accomplish their goals later on in life as just a really amazing, cute songbird predator. <laughs> well, they're just—I'm just, still laughing from the beginning of
0: this thing. It, it is the cutest little bird. You listen to their their calls. <laughs> And they're just, they're vicious, they're vicious, carnivorous birds. They're-
1: they definitely have a dark side. It's that, it's that black mask around their eyes. Uh, they're kind of, they're a little inconspicuous, like, you wouldn't think it's me, uh. and then they you know, sever the neck, drag the thing up to a tree and skewer it's it.
0: It's a perfect <laughs> species for October. It is perfect. When you mentioned this, I was like, oh, Angie wins. It, definitely the, the, the best one of the month. Uh,
1: yes. Well, once again, it was, it was Miss Laura. So yes, thank Laura. you yeah. for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so much fun. Uh, so
0: much well, fun. Well, talking about that and, you know, thank, thank you, Laura, for, for mentioning that and bringing it to our attention. So as a species as a whole, the loggerhead strikes near threatened. But like we mentioned in the beginning, two subspecies are critically endangered. So the first one's the San Clemente Island shrike. And this is an island off where I grew up, San Diego in California. In San Clemente Island, there is the San Clemente Island fox. I know Angie mentioned that one that we might cover it at some date. And you do have the shrikes on there there's about 10 left. They're working on trying to save them. This was an Island that the Navy, the United States Navy owns and uses as like a bombing range and they would fly fire on it. So it was pretty devastating. You read the history of the Island. There were some domestic goats on there that got into the thousands that just devastated native wildlife. So the U S Navy is working to rehabilitate that Island and, and try to save these species. Now, the, The other one that the Toronto Zoo is working with is the Eastern Loggerhead Shrike. Again, you know, critically endangered subspecies. They estimate about 35, 36 breeding pairs in Canada. And the Toronto Zoo does have a captive breeding program. So they've released, I think, like 90 birds so far or something like that. So... You know, there are people out there working to save this species. like like
1: Yes, zoos-saving species. We'd love it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But there
1: was some other organizations you
0: wanted to highlight, right?
1: Yes, Chris. Today I'm going to talk about the Conservation Centers for Species Survival. It's known as C2S2, and they can be found at conservationcenters.org. And the mission of the C2S2 is to provide leadership in studying and creating self-sustaining secure populations in human care and in the wild of some of these most endangered species. And they do this by basically applying collective resources from several different groups to help these threatened species survive in large natural areas with minimal public disturbance. And then, of course, a lot of research to support these species. And they have several target species, but. They have a C2S2 songbird initiative because as researchers and conservationists, they are very aware of what Chris was talking about earlier in the podcast as far as our how our songbird populations in North America are just crashing. And so they have several programs to, to work on understanding that and then uh, breeding management and and working with other groups to help uh, preserve habitat and do proactive reintroductions. And the loggerhead shrike is one of the first model species that the C2S2 is working on basically a wide range recovery plan, which include both wild populations and conservation breeding and uh, reintroductions, but also coordinating the funding to do all this and to save their habitat and to do the research on them. So I was just Really excited that the loggerhead strike is getting the attention it deserves um, by a really important and progressive group of scientists and conservationists. And so, once again, that's the Conservation Center for Species Survival, C2S2, and they can be found at conservationcenters.org. They're also on Facebook and other social media platforms, which we will put on our show yes, notes. Yes,
0: yes, yes. It's it's amazing we've, we discover all these new ones, you know, all of these organizations out there.
1: I was so happy. Yes. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love this. And I mean, the loggerhead strike, they are fighting for them. And, uh, and, and of course, on the on the website, they mention the you know the butcher bird mm-hmm. and the the impaling behavior of their prey because you you can't not talk about no, it. No, right? I know,
0: I know, I know. Well, again, just to to close off the conservation tip of the week is again, I, I cannot talk about the eBird app, the Merlin Bird app. You know, it's it's out of Cornell University, free to use. It's addicting. You know, you you start to 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 look up in the trees more. You start to notice
1: listening Listen, more yeah. you definitely have me listening more on my morning walks with rainbow yeah
0: house. and you start to hear these bird calls you start to recognize these bird calls it just makes you connect it, a, another connection to nature you know we're always looking on the ground and we see things on the ground we're like oh wow cool but when you start noticing all the birds and now you know my my sons especially my six-year-old wyatt He's like, Dad, that's the your Euro, Euro, Euro one. The what's it? The, the the and I'm like, it's a Eurasian blackbird, buddy. It's invasive and they're everywhere, you know. <laughs> but then he was he even said
1: that's But a sparrow. I love the photos. Yeah, he's like, That's a sparrow. Yeah. yeah. I know, but I love the photos you sent me of them with their binoculars. I'm like, oh, so precious. And then, of course, the beautiful backdrop of New Zealand, New yeah, Zealand which is just <laughs> to die for. It looks like fake. Oh, my god! Uh, but I'm
0: in lockdown. I can't go see it right now. Oh, COVID. That's, true. Uh, That's COVID, true. you're killing me. Oh, no. Sorry. Never mind. Uh, it's, been a, a, it's been challenging worldwide. We're, we're all in this together. So I- even saving the environment, we're all in this together wherever you live. I, I just want to give you – a big thank you a big virtual hug thank you for listening you know thank you for supporting us spread this knowledge share these episodes recruit your friends to listen and learn it's 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 so much fun covering a bird like this that just blows your mind and we learned so much about them and now it's like now it's one of my top favorite animals <laughs> just my i don't know if you can displace honey badger just quite yet but this bird's close with the behavior so thank you angie
1: Oh, well, thank you everyone for listening and learning and sharing. We really appreciate it and have a good week. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.